0: Snippets of timeless classics with ramblings on everything bookish, Ink and Quill connects you with literature, culture, and writers in China and around the globe.
1: Discovering literature and following the stories behind your favorite authors. This is Ink and Quill. I'm your host, Yang Yong. The long, sweltering summer days are nothing but the perfect time for recreational reading. So, in today's program, we'll introduce some books that may enrich your holiday reading list, ranging from nonfiction, novel, to comic book and science fiction. More to come, so don't go away. American educator Charles Eliot once put it books are our quietest and most constant of friends. They are the most accessible and wisest of counselors. And the most patient of teachers. Yet, in an age where endless entertainment and sundry social media occupy our time, do printed books still matter? Should we bid farewell to them in order to embrace bites? To find out the answer, Liu Xiangwei Wei will recommend us a nonfiction. This is not the end of the book. Even if you never heard of Jean-Claude Carrière,
2: you must learn about his movies. From the highly acclaimed The Unbearable Lightness of Being to the award-winning black comedy The Tin Drum, this prolific French screenwriter is a force to reckon with in the arena of art cinema. But when this talented filmmaker encountered Umberto Eco, the late Italian semi-autician who was best known for his novel The Name of the Rose, these two raconteurs started a lengthy conversation about books, and all their dialogues are faithfully documented and transcribed in the hefty publication This is Not the End of the Book. Wu Yaling, translator of his Chinese version, explains the book's
3: highlights. The book reminds me of Rembrandt, the great painter of the 17th century. He had a small painting called Philosopher in Meditation, which features a man being deep in thought in his studio. I think this book shares the same hue. Two thinkers in their room discuss some ultimately profound issues. They not only explore the past, present, and future of books, they also debate about European culture and the evolution of human civilization. Although ECHO and CARRIER work in different fields, they engage with each other extensively.
2: Don't be fooled by the title, as the book is not set in a printed book versus digital reading scenario. Instead, since both speakers are erudite bibliophiles and fanatical book collectors, their conversations cover everything related to the book, ranging from its history to its entangled relationship with our society. For average readers, the rambling yet thought-evoking words of these two polymaths are truly eye-opening. For example, in 18th century France, Hamlet didn't die since all the translations of Shakespearean works had to be revised to cater to the ethical standards of that time. Or instead of four, there should be more Gospels in the Bible, as many scriptures have been eliminated and forgotten throughout history.
4: Yet
2: in the eyes of Chinese translator Wu Yaling, what impresses her the most is their interlocutor's discussion on the nature
3: of books. Once they said, human is an ingenious creature. They create civilization, build cities, well-produce beauty and wisdom. At the same time, we're stupid and arrogant beings. So what is the role of the book? It alludes to human, to our goodness and ugliness. I think that's the nature of books throughout the time. So, will books
2: survive this dynamic, restless and ever-changing digital age? Echo and Carrière didn't give us a clear answer in their 300-page colloquy. But maybe we could cool off a little bit, because just like the title of book suggests, this is not the end of the book. Even though technology has already turned our way of thinking, our collective memory and our culture upside down. Here is the translator Wu Yaling
3: again. Sometimes it takes efforts to find a book, but that may not be a problem for the future generation. Today, we go to libraries and bookstores. Medieval scholars once crossed oceans and continents to collect a rare edition. The efforts and endeavours these people pay are spiritually rewarding, but unfortunately, that may not be the same case for our children. Brimmed with intelligent dialogues, witty banter, and
2: occasional digression, this is not the end of the book. It's not a speed reading, but something needs to be savoured and relished. But fear not, readers, as long as you love books, this one could delight and inspire you to no end.
0: Bestseller, smash hit, page turner. Ink and Quill delves into the very heart of the works that make us laugh, cry, and sigh.
1: Eileen Chang, also known as Zhang Eileen, was one of the greatest Chinese writers in the 20th century. Her subtle, yet incisive depiction on gender relation and human emotions has won her a cult following China. But Taiwanese writer Jiang Xiaoyun shows no fear in throwing down the gauntlet to this literary legend. Today, Yu Yang will introduce you to one of Jiang's novels, Love for All Seasons, or in Chinese,
5: He. English novelist Charles Dickens once described the French Revolution as it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. The same metaphor could also apply to the Republican era of China, which dated from 1912 to 1949. During that dynamic and eventful age, wars and turbulence plagued the nation. Yet at the same time, the tradition of old China clashed and interwove with ideas of the West, and a wealth of talents came forth to make their marks throughout the history. But instead of spilling ink over those noty and powerful Taiwan-born author Jiang Xiaoyun takes strong interest in women of that time
3: Compared with men, it is easier to write about women Their world is smaller During that period, life was hard for women even for those educated ones Since women had less job opportunities they were most likely to be dependent on men especially in wartime
5: So in her novel Love for All Season in Chinese, Jiang complies 12 stories that focus on women who were all born during the Republican era. No matter they are blue bloods born with a silver spoon or women living at the bottom of the society, all the characters are diaspora who are at the mercy of fate and forced to leave the mainland during that troubled age. Written in a placid style, the author unravels the thrilling vicissitudes of love, the heart-wrenching fickleness of human relations, and the struggle of common people in the crevice of the war rock times. Her elaborately crafted plot and a focus on female perspective do remind people of Eileen Chang, who was known for her lyrical illustration of romance and conflict during the 1940s. But book critic Xiao Bao voices his retort,
0: Generally speaking, these two writers are different in a very fundamental way. Eileen Chan was a tragic genius. Her style was dismal and she was ruthless to her characters. But Jiang Xiaoyun is a winner in life. Her stories are all about minor pathos, worthless joy and unideal reunion. Compared with Eileen Chan, she shows tenderness in her writings, which is utterly different.
5: Jiang's characters seem to be stronger. In her stories, we meet Shang Shuying, a nightclub dancer who is itinerant all her life depending on different men but eventually becomes a successful businesswoman all by herself, and An Jing, a fiddling daughter of the family who finds sanctuary through marriage and religion. The writer summarizes the women she wrote.
3: Some people ask me, how could these women still carry on and live on after abandoning all their wealth and face the breakup of their families? I think first of all, these women are equipped with certain skills to support themselves. And most importantly, they have something to hold on to. In my stories, I didn't demonstrate the upheaval of the time by describing the taste of hunger. My characters suffer as well, But no matter how worn out they are, they will put a bundle of flour on their table. I want to write people like that.
5: Although at the first glance, the 12 stories in the book seem to be relevant and haphazard, the more you read, the more likely you will be surprised by the length and breadth of the fiction, as it spans over the course of one century and across continents. From Shanghai, Hong Kong to Taipei and New York, readers not only trace the migratory routes of these characters, but also outline the shape of the past and learn how it shadows or illuminates the present. According to the book critic Xiao Bao, the extensive use of various Chinese dialects and a meticulous depiction are the minutiae of daily life, making love for all seasons and enjoyable reading.
0: Writing novel requires imagination, but people tend to forget that observation is equally important. Ms. Jiang brings the Republican era back to life. Her keen observation, combined with rich imagination and beautiful literary expressions, evoke readers' curiosity about that period. Explore the life of great wordsmiths. Share their stories beyond the pages. Ink and Quill brings you the voices of writers and book lovers.
1: Welcome back. You are listening to Ink and Quill with Yang Yong. If asked to name the most famous cartoon character in their countries, Americans may nominate Mickey Mouse off the top of their heads, while Belgians will proudly present to you the Adventure Tintin. team. In China, the title is attributed to San Mao, a skinny boy with only three hairs on his head. Hailed as one of the world's longest-running comic actors, this tenacious orphan has captivated and inspired generations. So let's follow Liu Meng to learn the enduring charm of San Mao, China's favorite son.
4: At 80, San Mao, China's most popular comic strip hero, is not aging at all. Skinny Limp's big head and three curly strands of hair crowning the top, he is brave and quick-witted as Tintin and acts as an ultimate survivor like Charlie Brown. But unlike his Western counterparts, San Mao's tales are much darker since they mirror some of the most turbulent moments of Chinese history in the 20th century. Shao Jianqiu is a comic buff born in the 1980s.
6: When I read the books as a kid, I could only memorize the scenes. But as I get older, I start to recognize the political connotation and irony of these comic strips. There are many elements of historical background embedded, In terms of the plot, drawing style, and the incisive reflection on the society, San Mao's series are truly masterpieces.
4: In 1935, San Mao, literally meaning three hairs in Chinese, was devised by cartoonist Zhang Leping in Shanghai. Though at that time, modern comics had already been popularized for 10 years, it was rare to see a comic strip featuring a child as protagonist. Zhang Weijun, the cartoonist's
6: youngest son, recalls. When San Mao's stories were first serialized in 1935, he hadn't roamed on the street and joined the army yet. He was just an average kid living in a Shanghai Lane house. He was pretty naughty and had a sense of justice.
4: The birth of San Mao filled a blank in Chinese comic industry. Adopting the technique of line drawing, Zhang Leping wrote no dialogues and used the simplest brushworks to reveal the complexity of one's inner world and the chores and the trifles in old Shanghai. But soon, things went downhill as Japan levied a war of aggression against China. Zhang and other cartoonists left home and traveled around the country to disseminate the message of resistance and patriotism. During his eight-year rove, the artist witnessed how bloodshed, violence, and misery ravaged China. Heartbreakingly, he also watched ordinary people, particularly young children, become the victims of the war. Zhang Weijun says those experiences transformed his father's artworks drastically.
6: I think his wartime experience became his baptism and purified him. From then on, he was determined to see the world and reflect problems for the sake of common people. He came back to Shanghai in 1945. One year later, he drew his comic Sam Mao Joins the Army, which combined the happenings he went through. Once published, the response was overwhelming.
4: In this blood-soaked cartoon story, the homeless Sam Mao puts on ill-fitting uniform to fight against aggressive Japanese army. Despite his short height and gaunt feature, the boy is able to survive on the bullet-flying battleground and uses his size
6: and wit as advantage to defeat much superior enemies. Samo experiences a lot, and his endeavors always end in vain. But he never gives up. No matter what happens, he carries on and moves on.
4: After the huge success of his first book, in 1947, Zhang LePing created another classic, The Wanderings of Sam Mao. This time, our beloved Er urchin lingers on the streets alone and hands around with beggars, refugees, and orphans in the post war Shanghai. Constantly being beaten and mocked, he's starved while the rich feast and celebrate. Mao's bitter experience and hardship resonated with many of that time, which has gradually elaborated this character to national fame. After the establishment of People's Republic of China, Zhang produced a sequence of comic strips to illustrate Mao's new life, but the previous two series remained the most popular ones. Dong Xiaoyan is the director of Zhang Leping Museum, which commemorates the artist's contribution to Chinese cartoon industry and the eternal joy and inspiration his works bring.
3: San Mao goes up with generations of Chinese children. He's vivacious and tough. That's why we not only receive local visitors, but also admit people
4: all around China and the rest of the world. For decades, filmmakers, musicians, and animation producers have voted on this mischievous and good-natured boy. Even the famous Taiwanese writer Chen Mao-Ping empathized with him and changed her pen name into San Mao. Zhang Weijun, son of the cartoonist, explains the reason behind the San Mao's everlasting popularity.
6: The Samo franchise, particularly The Wanderings of Sanmao, is not just for children. The stories might better suit adult readers, since they reflect the fickleness and inconsistency of the society. Generally speaking, the cartoon is an art of comedy and humor. There are no doubt humorous and funny elements in my father's books, but he illustrated them in a tragic way. I think compared with comedy, tragedy is much easier to strike a chord.
0: Snippets of timeless classics with ramblings on everything bookish, ink and quill connects you with literature, culture, and writers in China and around the globe.
1: Hao Jingfang is one of the brightest rising stars in China's science fiction scene. In 2016, her dystopian novelette Folding Beijing helped her back a Hugo Award, one of the world's most prestigious science fiction prizes, making her the second Chinese author to win a Hugo statue after Liu Cixin. In today's program, Liu Xiangwei again introduces one of her earliest works, Back to Karen, which may provide you some insights into the intricacies of Hao Jingfang's writing.
2: Mars, the twin planet of our Mother Earth has been the subject of boundless imagination and fanatical obsession in science fiction for more than a century In the eyes of Arthur C. Clarke the red planet is a sandy world as for Edgar Rice Burroughs Mars is an abode populated with four-armed aliens, monsters, and princesses. But Chinese writer Hao Jing Fang describes the planet like
3: this. Wheeled from the outside of the planet, Martian cities look like the hanging gardens of the ancient Babylon. Just like the dream of building the Tower of Babel, the ideal of the hanging gardens have been revived intensively on Mars. The whole city is a huge entity. Lines of buildings are banked and smooth. The rising terraces and porticos are connected with each other. Standing beneath a glass-made dome, you will find blooming flowers and lush grass everywhere. A Tsinghua University graduate, Hao Jingfang
2: has put pen to paper since 2007, and the majority of her works are fantasy stories, the multi-award-winning writer says her affinity with science fiction comes from her majors, physics and astronomy.
3: When the development of physics reaches alchemy, we are going to discuss some philosophic problems, particularly in terms of modern physics and the quantum mechanics. The more you learn, the more malleable your world will becomes.
2: In novel Back to Karen, or in Chinese Huidao Kairong, the author sets the story in the year of 2190, when mankind have already overcome the barriers of gravity and atmosphere to master space travel and colonize Mars. Just like Kim Stanley Robinson's Mars trilogy, housing Jingfong's Mars is a utopian society believing in sharing everything, while life on Earth is more carnival-like
3: and chaotic. In this book, I just went to extremes. I transformed my trivial thoughts and subtle feelings to two extremely different worlds. One represents childhood, while another stands for adulthood. In real life, you cannot find such radical differences, but in this novel, I wanted to create that tension. In
2: 2150, the inhabitants of the Red Planet start a revolt to break off the yoke of earthly jurisdiction, eventually leading to the separation of the human species. However, instead of rendering the grand, brutal battles or instellar secession, the writer focuses on several Martian teenagers who live on Earth as transfer students for five years and then return to their home planet at the age of 18. The fates of those protagonists all get intertwined with the future of the two planets.
3: At the beginning of this novel, a group of teenagers fly past a desert and overlook their distant homeland. Czech composer Antonin Vorak once wrote a symphony named From the New World, which I think is a perfect match to that image. He used the music to describe the feeling of Europeans when they came back home from America. And I choose words to depict those expatriate Martians. When you return from a new world, you will regard the old one differently. All your confusion and the choice for life come from your comparison between these two worlds. Thanks to the meticulous scientific
2: details and the abandoned sociological information in the book, the writer molds a vivid and plausible mass. But Back to Karen is by no means a hard science fiction. Instead, you will go through a lengthy tirade of history, system, freedom, and humanity. In the end, there is no one who is capable of being the savior of the world, and they all surrender and compromise to their own desires. The author emphasizes that she has no intention to sermonize her readers or exhaust them with scientific theories.
3: I don't want to persuade my readers to believe something. In fact, until the end of my novel, I always want them to see that all your conviction and all the ideas you want to fulfill are not perfect at all. Essentially, every belief has its own flaws, I used to be pretty pessimistic regarding this matter. Compared to many
2: male sci-fi writers, whose works focus on technical accuracy and biting sarcasm, Hao Jingfang's writing style is more gentle and poetic. That's why back to Karen gets applause from Liu Cixin, China's contemporary sci-fi guru, for his unique touch of dignity and elegance of idealism.
1: on that note it's time to wrap up today's program don't forget that there are always something interesting taking place in the literary world as such we always do our best to try to keep you posted and updated for previous episodes you can download the podcast by searching the keyword ink and quill on itunes if you want to share with us which book interests you the most this summer, you are welcome to leave us a message on our Facebook page, China Plus, or simply drop us an email at inkandquill at qq.com, I-N-K-N-D-Q-U-I-L-L at qq.com. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Yang Yong. Talk to you again next week.